It's Friday, August 13th, 2021, and you are listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and the balance of power here in America and around the free world. I am Jonathan Mavertis, senior writer at the Hoover Institution, and I'm sitting in the chair of Bill Whalen, the Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Distinguished Policy Fellow in Journalism, so that he can answer questions and provide commentary about California policy and politics in which he is well-versed. Bill Whalen, in addition to being a Washington Post columnist, writes weekly for Hoover's California On Your Mind web channel and edits and publishes Eureka, a quarterly forum featuring analysis and commentary from Hoover scholars and California's top thinkers. Whalen is joined by Leo Hanian, Hoover Institution Senior Fellow and Professor of Economics and Director of the Edinger Family Program in Macroeconomic Research at the University of California, Los Angeles. Ohanian also writes twice per week about the policy environment of the Golden State for California on your mind. Good day, gentlemen. Let's talk about the latest developments in policy and politics in the Golden State. Uh, Bill, last week you talked about the surge of the Delta variant with Stanford's Dr. J. Bhattacharya. Uh, this week, Governor Newsom issued a new order calling for all teachers and school employees to be vaccinated or uh, tested on a weekly basis. Uh, meanwhile, the leading candidate to replace Newsom, conservative talk show host Larry Elder, said he would remove any vaccine mandate or any mandate for that matter. Um, do Governor Newsom's COVID policies bode well for him in this recall election? Um, I think the easiest way to answer it, Jonathan, is it's complicated. Uh understand that Newsom has to walk a tightrope here. Uh, On one side of the tightrope is teachers and the education establishment, uh, whose support he sorely needs in this election, especially the monetary help teachers unions provide. Um, He also wants teachers to cooperate when it comes to reopening schools, which are going on as we speak. Um, So he has to placate them. So asking for vaccinations from them is one way to quell teachers to make sure teachers are comfortable going back in the workplace. We'll see if that pans out. On the other hand, he has to deal with um, with parents. Parents, uh, parents very uneasy about their kids going back in the classroom. Um, I, I just know anecdotally some parents who have pulled their kids out of public schools and put them in private schools for this concern. They just think the public schools might not be um, clean enough. Uh, so he has to placate parents as well. So I think he feels this is a sensible thing to go forward. But you notice that um, you know recall candidates have pounced on this, and that's because vaccinations and masks um, and the idea of mandates boils down to one word for the right, and that's the word freedom, uh, a word you hear Ron DeSantis used often in Florida, uh, and a word that became very complicated this week when Arnold Schwarzenegger did an interview and um, talked about people not willing to vaccinate, and Arnold uttered the words, screw your freedom. Uh, so he's now under assault for this is ours. So um, this is the tough part of governing for Gavin Newsom. He had to pick a decision to go with it. And uh, well, he sorely wishes the recall vote was about two weeks ago, not uh, not not four weeks into the future. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree entirely. The uh, the timing is not working well for Governor Newsom. The fact that the virus has mutated appears to be more difficult to treat. It appears to be a strain that is not so well protected against given current vaccines. A lot of people are just not paying much attention right now to the recall election. Those who are not paying much attention are probably those among the Democratic group who would be Newsom supporters. Those who are paying attention to the recall election are those who really want to recall Newsom. And I would say in terms of the the decision about uh, about vaccinations, um, I think he's finally shown significant leadership. Um, kids below the age of 12 can't be vaccinated. We need to provide a safe environment for those kids to go back to school. So 
having the adults that those children interact with be vaccinated is uh, is incredibly sensible. Um, so I applaud him for making that decision. Um, I would say in terms of freedom, um, look, the teachers are represented by teachers unions that benefit remarkably from the largesse of the Democratic State Party. Um, they're part of that political cabal. Um, so, you know, if you're on if you're on one side of that, then you got to be on the other side of that. So I think this was a no brainer in terms of the decision he made. I think it does show some leadership finally on his part. I don't know if it's going to be really um, let me just put this a slightly different way. Uh, Bill hit the nail right on the head saying, gosh, I wish the recall election been two weeks ago or a month ago before Delta was taking over, because as uh, as Delta is increasing, um, there's just there's there is a no win situation for him. There's really nothing he can do now that's going to put him in a better situation for the election, given the expansion of the virus. It's just uh, it's, it's, it's really the worst timing possible for uh, for his situation. Does the the politics of vaccination at all? Does it I mean, does Governor, Governor Newsom's mandates, uh, does, it, does it at all spook, um, you know, Democratic voters who, you know, who have small business who may fear in the future that the government is going to, the governor is going to come in with a new, uh, fresh set of uh, restrictions? Yeah, I mean, that's the question here. And I haven't seen any polling, though. I, I won't say the Hoover Institution is going to do a poll on this um, starting next week, and we're going to try to get on this ourselves. But the question would be this. Let's assume on a recall vote that uh, voters voting for Newsom support his action. They support masking, they support the vaccine mandate. And let's assume Republicans voting against Newsom for the most part do not approve of the mandate and uh, have problems with masking. The great question then is what about those people in between the uh, the NPPs, the uh, no party preference independents in California? Where do they lean on this? And we just don't know. But, you know, it's, and Lee, this is what's interesting about this election and the timing. There are other matters that are coming to a head with Newsom. Uh, in California. One, for example, is the eviction moratorium in California. Uh, now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if the federal uh, law overrides that now, but in California, we're looking at a September 30th uh, deadline for eviction moratoriums, which is two weeks after the recall. So my assumption would be the governor would want to avoid that topic as much as possible and avoid other painful topics as well, just to get this election over with first. And that's going to be tricky for him because the legislature is in business right now. They are right now busy working on bills. The governor's going to have to start taking positions on bills and he's going to have to start deciding not just winners and losers in Sacramento, but what are for him political winners and losers. Yeah, Bill, um, the governor is, um, he's in a really difficult position now because there is about an even split among likely voters in the recall election between him staying and him going. As people spend more time, uh, and his supporters are going to be the ones who are going to be thinking about the virus and restrictions, whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, whether they should be going out, what protective steps they should be doing, um, are they going to end up voting? Given that by given that the virus is front and center, um, they as special elections, uh, Bill, as you know, a number of times, um, they never get as, nearly as much turnout as uh, as normally scheduled elections. Um, he's got to be doing the day to day business of being governor, uh, and that's more than a full time job. The the legislators back in session. Um, I really think he's got to just 
cross his fingers and hope that the cards fall in, in his direction. I think there's very little he can do at this point um, to get a better outcome. Um, and, you know, the airwaves, at least here in Southern California, have just been inundated with ads about trying to implore voters to come out. And I think, you know, they're falling on deaf ears. Um, I think his choice of Elizabeth Warren as, uh, as a mouthpiece was probably not a very good choice. Right. Just, uh, you know, I think we'll probably get into this later, but uh, he just said, you know, now we have Joe Biden coming out um, just a couple of weeks bef before, before the recall. Um, you know, is it too little, too late? Are people even, even going to listen to that? Um, I suspect people have made up their minds, and uh, then it really boils down to who ends up, uh, who ends up voting. Right. So let's get into it now. Actually, um, so the president uh, tweeted yesterday his support for Governor Newsom. Uh, I would note that as a tweet and not a television advertisement. Now, maybe he'll turn around and do a TV ad. Uh, he's popular in California. Uh, Kamala Harris, actually less popular in California than the president, even though this is her native state. Maybe she'll cut an ad for, for uh, Joe Biden. This one I'm writing about for Hoover for next weekly, actually, just what does he do now in terms of the in terms of the television strategy? Uh, he's had Elizabeth Warren uh, on, and you're right, she is on just around the clock up here in Northern California, too. Um, I don't know if we talked about this last time or not on the show, but I think this has been a mistake in at least two regards. Number one, I don't think she's much of a needle mover, especially for the for the you know the NPPs who I mentioned in California, the people who shed party preference. She is she is a partisan, the embodiment of a progressive partisan, if you will. Uh, second mistake possibly Lee would be this. I was watching the Olympics the other week. Uh, one of the few Californians who bothered to do so. If you look at the ratings, but I was watching it on a Friday night, and it was just a chance for me to just kind of brain my drain, uh, drain my brain, and and just you know get away from politics. And so I'm watching the Olympics, and sure enough, we cut to commercial, and there's Elizabeth Warren coming at me, and I thought, you know, God, you know, please time out, spare me from this, but. Newsom, for as much as we've talked about the governor's difficulties, it's good to be the king in this regard. You just look at the money. Uh, you take the various committees in support of the governor, his own campaign coffers. You put those up against the anti against the pro recall committees, Lee, and the pro recall candidates. And what you come up with is a about a two and a half to one imbalance here. Uh, anti recall forces had the last time I checked about fifty seven million dollars in the bank. Uh, pro recall about twenty two and a half million dollars. So there is a large difference in money here. So the question is, how does the governor spend it? He is, uh, today is Friday the 13th, knock on wood, and he is going out for the next four days and campaigning around the state. He is trying to drum up Democratic support. Now, why is he doing that? Because ballots are going out now. Uh, we are playing by the same set of rules established last year for the COVID election. Every Californian registered to vote will get a ballot. 22 million ballots are going out. But now the governor has to convince Democrats to actually hand in your ballot. Uh, part of that, Lee, is just the trick of getting people to vote out of habit. They're used to voting in November, not in September. Uh, secondly, there might be a psychological barrier, Lee, in that with the exception of Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Steve Poisner, who won the insurance commissioner's race in 2006, Democrats have won every statewide election going back to 1998. So some Democrats just might think that, you know, I see these polls where it shows the governor's in trouble, but no, come on, he got 62% of the vote the last time. He's going to he's gonna win this thing. It's not a bother. So that's his challenge. But the question, Lee, and I apologize for filibustering here, is if Gavin Newsom decides to turn to help from a surrogate, who does he turn to? The president, the vice president, obviously. Uh, who else nationally? I think Barack Obama would be a terrific choice. Uh, but here things get complicated for Gavin Newsom. 
Gavin Newsom uh, supported Hillary Clinton in 2007, not Barack Obama. Uh, I don't know if the Obamas are that petty or hold grudges, but they might decide that, you know, we don't want to do him a favor. He didn't help us. We could have used him. Uh, or he could turn to Jerry Brown, who I think would be also be a very good surrogate for him. But he and his predecessor have a very complicated relationship, to, to, to be polite about it. Uh, he maybe doesn't agree with all of Newsom's decisions. He probably doesn't appreciate Newsom um, saying how difficult the job was when he walked into, what a mess things were. It's no predecessor like to hear this. So Newsom's choices here for surrogates are complicated. And then you stumble onto the other key question here, Lee, which is do people really pay attention to surrogate ads? If you if you hear a Jerry Brown or a Joe Biden or even let's say Arnold Schwarzenegger coming out and you know ask tell you to vote for the governor, does it really transfer or not? And I think in our political age, we've seen, especially in congressional midterm elections, transferability doesn't work. So I think Newsom has to focus on one thing, and that's being the best version of Gavin Newsom that he could be for the next four, four weeks. Because that that decides the recall question, plain and simple. Do you like this governor or not? Do you do you trust this governor? Yeah, yeah. I know I I'm I'm sure Gavin wishes that he had some of uh some of that tax bonanza revenue that he could use to, <laughs> to write checks to people to return their balance. Because I, I think that's what's, what it's going to take. If you look at all voters within the state, um, then he stays. Um, but will the voters who support him, do they like him enough? Do they pay attention? Do they actually turn the ballot back in? And so that really ends up being the question. Um, the enthusiasm is for those who are going to be, 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 be picking someone else. Yeah. And uh, I think he made, he, he made, I think, a very big mistake in picking Elizabeth Warren. Um, this is not anything negative against Elizabeth Warren, but who is she going to convince? Um, everyone who agrees with her would be voting for Newsom in any case. Um, she's not going to be, she, she generated very little enthusiasm in the 2020 Democratic primary within the state. She right. was never, and as you point out, you know, she's not a needle mover. No, no, she's, she's not a needle mover. And I, I can't think of a real, really a, a, a less appropriate choice to try to get people in California excited about Gavin Newsom. If, if the Newsom people leave identified the problem as Democrats who shop at Whole Foods or not voting for him in sufficient droves, and Elizabeth Warren is your candidate. Remember, remember back when she got in the controversy over Indian heritage and there were all the great, uh, all the great jokes about what her name would be. And my favorite one was uh, Hunts at Whole Food. But um, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, Newsom's uh, issue with Democrats, and it's kind of actually, ironically, it's rather similar to the vaccine challenge for him as well. Uh, you look at the population in California that's not vaccinated, and there's a you know some healthy supply of people on the right who will not get vaccinated. They're not going to vote for him. But then the question would be people who might vote Democratic who will get vaccinated. It's African-Americans and Latinos. And Elizabeth Warren is not going to move the needle with African-Americans and Latinos. That's why Barack Obama might be an interesting uh, choice here. But, you know, the former president doesn't really like to get down and dirty in politics that much, it seems. He's living a pretty good life, uh, having fabulous birthday parties in Martha's Vineyard and making a lot of easy money with Netflix deals and whatnot. Maybe he doesn't want to kind of lower himself, if you will, and cut a commercial for a governor uh, in trouble. So. This is what Newsom has to face, but I will preface though that you know, given the choice of having to figure this with more money than my opponents, I would much welcome having more money than my opponents. You know, forty-seven million dollars. I could do a lot with forty-seven million dollars. I don't know if I can get elected with forty-seven million dollars, but I, I, I think I could. I think I could uh, figure out some stuff to do with that forty-seven million. He's, um, <clears throat> you know, Bill, at some level, he, um, and, and I would 
I would be interested to know. I, I'm not. I'm not inside the Democratic Party, but I'd like to know the extent to which people with inside the party, particularly the National Party, are looking at him and saying, hey, fella, you did this to yourself. You decided to dine out at the French Laundry, which killed your approval rating by about 20 percentage points. You're the one who sympathized with Zoom parents when your kids have been in private school for almost the entire year. You're the one who claimed that 10 times as much wildfire potential acreage had been treated as it was. You're the one who couldn't get kids back in the classroom. You just go down the list, and I just wonder to what extent within the National Party, which then would bear on things like, does Obama make the big pitch? Does Jerry Brown make the big pitch? Does Biden make the big pitch? To what extent are they looking at him and saying, hey, how much political capital should I spend on this guy? Because he is not the guy I thought he was. And even if I spend my capital now, he is up for re-election in a year. So I think we need to separate the personal from the professional. So let's take Jerry Brown, for example. Um, he is 30 years older than Gavin Newsom. Their families are intertwined. Um, um, just through San Francisco politics, San Francisco connections. But Newsom and uh, Brown are very different people with very different sensibilities, especially when it comes to, to governing. Uh, on the personal side, Jerry Brown, who has never been a fan of uh, fancy dining, uh, lives a rather austere life in Northern California right now, uh, as opposed to Newsom's rather you know extravagant lifestyle in Marin County. He might look at something like the French Laundry outing and think, you know, boy, you just you know shot yourself in the foot. I do not feel bad for you. But the Democrats, I think, Lee, have to take a larger uh, view of this uh, situation. They just lost a governor in New York the other day, uh, a governor who you know is out of a job, really of his own doing. Andrew Cuomo, you know, created his own problem. He's, he's now suffering from that. Um, internally, Democrats, uh, there was a story the other day, there was a meeting of House Democrats and the chairman of the Democratic Commercial Campaign Committee, Lee, uh, pulled out a poll that showed Democrats losing uh, generically by six points on the, on the generic House ballot. Uh, that's a disaster, if that's true. And at this point, too, that spells just a horrible congressional uh, election for them. To lose the governor of California, I think, would have real psychological damage to the party at this point. Why? It's California. It is, you know, besides Hawaii, probably the bluest state in America, uh, a governor who won with over 60 percent of the vote the last time around, uh, the guy who's seen as a rising star of the National Party. And if he loses Lee, we can talk about French laundry. We can talk about, you know, COVID. We can talk about the uh, oddities of the recall election. But it will be very easy to interpret this as Californians pushing back against too much too soon in California, progressive overkill, kind of similar to what you saw in the ballot last November, where Biden won by a large margin running against Donald Trump. But if you went down the ticket to the initiatives, affirmative action was rejected. Uh, an increase in property taxes for the sake of schools is rejected. So you could interpret the set of returns, Lee, as people pushing back against progressivism, i.e. a preview of the 2022 election. And if I were the Democrats and I saw that the governor of California got bounced on this kind of message, I'd be really spooked. Well, it would be a disaster for the Democratic Party, state party and national party if Newsom was to lose. Right. And I, um, I agree with you. Brown is a he has a complicated relationship with with Newsom. Um, I mean, personally, I'd be surprised if Jerry Brown making as 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 Newsom surrogate uh, as the former governor who seems to be having who seems to have had much more success than the current governor, mm -hmm. if that would really move the needle much for people in terms of getting them out to, to vote. Um, Obama, interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, if he could get Obama 
to deliver the big speech in his favor, yeah, maybe that would move the needle in terms of getting people who support Newsom to vote for, to, to actually return their ballots. Uh, <clears throat> interesting strategy. But, in but, then, that, but, but then you get into the, the question of what the message is for Obama. So if Obama just repeats what Elizabeth Warren said, that this is another Trump-led assault on democracy, I don't think that's smart strategy. Because why? It doesn't get to the heart of the first recall question, which is, do you have confidence in this governor, yes or no? So if you saw Biden's tweet yesterday, he praised the job that Gavin Newsom is doing, and that's a smart approach. So I think just to go after Californians and press the Trump button, which again, we're going to see in 2022, Democrats nationwide, I don't know if that's the right way to go about this. Yeah, yeah very interesting point, because there's, two, there's, there's only two things one could say. You could keep doubling down on the state parties argument, which is this is just a bunch of white supremacists, anti-vaxxers, racists, which is really, really dangerous from a political standpoint, because, you know, you're going to, you know, <laughs> you're alienating an awful lot of people. They're not people who are anti-vaxxers or white supremacists. I'm sure you're going to alienate them, but they don't care about that group. But you're, there's a lot of people in the middle who are just going to listen to this and say, is that the best you have? Yeah, exactly. Is that the best you can claim? <laughs> Two million people find this in the state. Um, on the other hand, if you try to take the high road and say the governor has done just really a great job in, <laughs> during a period of real exigency and has shown remarkable leadership and has brought the fifth largest economy in our biggest state through what's a horrible crisis, can you say that with a straight face? Um, there's nothing, there's not really a win you can point to for Gavin Newsom. In Biden's tweet, he was he was very supportive. Um, there were no specifics there, not that a tweet's going to have specifics, but can you really come out and deliver and say, here's why I'm here's why I'm supporting Gavin Newsom? Here's why he's the right guy for the next year. Uh, you're going to have to do that. You got to have the positive message and get people excited about supporting him rather than getting getting them scared about the alternative. Um, at some point, there's only, there's only so much you can do to gild the the sows here, for lack of a better uh, lack of a better parable. Yeah. One final note on this, Lee. We'll get let Jonathan back into this. Um, the other reason why I'd be very careful about just going down the right wing uh, approach as Newsom wants to, um, it's been there, done that in California. If you um, go back to uh, the recall election in 2003, Lee, at almost this very time in 2003. Um, Gray Davis decided that he needed to flip the script on the recall election. He saw that Arnold was uh, potentially running away with the thing. So Davis um, gave a 15-minute speech at uh, UCLA, of all places, your stomping grounds. And um, his people, his uh, campaign really kind of played it up as uh, a very personal appeal that he that he wrote the uh, speech himself. Um, and here's what, uh, excerpt of what uh, he said, Lee, this is sound familiar, quote, when Republicans can't win elections fair and square, they resort to this, Davis said, citing the GOP-led impeachment of President Clinton, I'm reading the Los Angeles Times story here uh, during his second term. I'm going to fight this recall and the right-wing forces behind it. You can take that to the bank. So Davis, at one point in 2003, Lee tried to link this to right-wing conspiracies. You might remember um, his people tried to link uh, Schwarzenegger to Enron at one point. And this didn't work because Californians had other concerns. They were concerned about the vehicle license fee and about the lights being kept on at the energy crisis and about the budget deficit. And so partisan politics didn't work too well in that special election. No, no. If I was advising Newsom, I would say he better get out in front of people and do a 30 second speech and just 
you know, delivered the speech of a lifetime as to why California needs me. And he better have a list of accomplishments and a list of accomplishments that points to a natural inclination of what's going to happen over the next over the next year during my during my governorship. Right. Um, I think he should be doing that rather than trying to rely on past Democratic Party greats to try to prop him up. Right. So you're looking at a closing pitch, a closing ad, but also Lee, what would be an elevator pitch uh, just within, you know, the ability of a minute or two to explain to Californians why he should not be removed from office. Because I think if you let Newsom get up and do this for half an hour or 45 minutes, I have a friend who's a consultant in Sacramento and he has an interesting theory about Newsom. He thinks that Newsom suffers. This is going to sound kind of funny when you first hear it, but he thinks he suffers from being too good looking, if you will, that he is just a little too slick, a little too handsome. And with some voters, that kind of creates kind of a funny ripple effect where they do really trust the guy. And he said this really stands out, for example, when you see Newsom go out and do kind of regular Joe things like helping to clean up a homeless encampment or, you know, pick up litter on Earth Day or something like that. He said, you know, this guy's just kind of too pretty for that. It doesn't work. So, and his theory is this, that the less you see of Newsom, actually, the better for Newsom himself. So I would yeah, say- yeah, yes, he's. Yeah. He's not he's he he's not a regular guy yeah. and he's not a regular guy who can pretend very well to be a regular guy. Uh, he shouldn't. He's so bad at pretending to be a regular guy that he should not try to do that. Cleaning up trash under underpasses and try to give heartfelt presentations to people and say, I feel it. I've got kids yeah. uh, also. I feel the Zoom, the, the I feel the Zoom on you. Oh yeah, my kids have been in school. Yeah. But I I I feel your pain. He's not he's not the I feel your pain guy. But um yeah we've we we should let Jonathan get back in get get back in on this. This was this this was this has been fun. Last time we spoke, uh, gentlemen, we talked about the debate at the Nixon Library on August 4th. Um, some of the post-game analysis characterized Kevin Faulkner as, of course, the wonkish big, big city mayor, assemblyman. Kevin Kiley is deeply knowledgeable about parliamentary procedure and, and process, and Doug Osi is sympathetic to the interior parts of the states and the needs of the farmers. And, of course, John Cox with a similar pro-business message um, that he conveyed in 2018. Uh, did any of these candidates in your mind stand out uh, during the debate? Um, and did Larry Elder make a mistake by not showing up or Caitlyn Jenner as well? Um, I think Caitlyn, Caitlyn Jenner did because it just adds to the narrative that she's not running a serious campaign. And when she does campaign and there's a TV crew with her, that it just looks more like she's doing this to do some sort of Netflix miniseries or something. Um, I think the candidate who probably won the debate was the one who wasn't there. And that's Larry Elder. Um, and that he, after that debate was elevated, that he is now a co-star in Gavin Newsom's emails and uh, missives. I get an email from Gavin Newsom's campaign almost every day asking for $3. This is a trick. They want to get as many $3 donations as they can. That way it waters down the, the really big donations, uh, like the $3 million he got from Reed Hastings. You could just say, my average donation is $15. I'm a man of the people. Um, but Elder is now the focus of Newsom's attacks. Um, it's kind of a building up in intensity. It started with just sort of questioning whether or not he is qualified to be governor. Then it went into some you know, positions he's taken. When you were a talk radio host, just, you know, it's a lot of material to dig into because you're, you know, talking three hours a day. So you're taking a lot of positions. Uh, but now he is uh, with Donald Trump. And so Trump is now intertwined with Larry Elder. So the idea, if you vote for Larry Elder, you're voting for Donald Trump. So I think this is a very enviable place for Mr. Elder to be because 
shows why. Uh, he is trying to get the most votes among anti-recall people. And I think among anti-recall people, Donald Trump is actually rather viewed favorably. And the more that he is attacked by the governor, the more it shows that the governor is concerned about him. Uh, it just elevates his stature. What do you think, Lee? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Elder is the only recall candidate that Newsom has identified, and he continues to identify him. You know, he's the mosquito buzzing around. You know, there's these mosquitoes buzzing around Newsom's ears, and there's one there's one named Larry Elder that he's paying attention to, and he's not paying attention to the, any of the others. Um, now, there's a, so, school, there's a school of thought that uh, this is also three-dimensional chess, Lee, in that uh, Newsom's people are thinking that, okay, worse happens, we lose this election, he's re recalled. Who do we want in the governor's office going into 2022? And they would prefer Larry Elder to Kevin Faulkner. Why? Because they would view Elder as much easier to beat in a primary in 2022 than uh, than Faulkner. This is one of the oddities. I've written about this for Hoover, one of the many oddities of a Republican winning this election. He or she would go to Sacramento, Lee, let's say probably late October, about five weeks after the election. And they would immediately have to figure out how to write a budget for the next year. That budget would be dead on arrival with the legislature. Uh, whatever legislative agenda the new governor had would be dead on arrival with the legislature. Unlike 2003, where Arnold came in and they were afraid of Arnold because they thought, holy smokes, he kicked the governor out of office. He is popular. He could kick us out of office. We better work with him. The legislature would not deal with, a, this, with this version of a recall winner. And that candidate would also, that governor also, Lee would have to look at the business at hand of running for re-election, running for a full four-year term in June in the primary. So be very odd governorship. It's kind of what the acting governor in New York is going to go through as well, where she is on a very short calendar. Um, but um, this is something which is interesting. This can tie into your talk with these candidates about economics. I'm just curious as to what these governors would actually do if they had the job, Lee. Um, you know, some have very elaborate, you know, tax cuts, for example, um, that may be sexy to some voters, but that's just not going to happen in Sacramento and what time they have in office. So it's really more of a question, Lee, I think, of what they can do, as Obama famously said, with the pen and the phone, what they can do by executive order. Yeah, yeah, this this will be a substantial executive order governorship if the recall goes in that particular direction. And um, you know, Bill, when you mentioned three-dimensional chess, if you're a Republican candidate, if 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 we go ahead and say Larry Elder's the leading Republican candidate, what is what what do you want? You want the recall people to be voting for you and you want overall turnout to be low. So there's a sense in which you want a certain group of people to get to know you and you want other people to not get to know you from the standpoint of, say, being smeared with Donald Trump or having or, or, or being compared with policy positions that, you know, for example, Newsom, Newsom started saying, you know, Larry Elder's going to reduce the minimum wage in this in this state. Larry Elder is X, Y and Z. Um, so I've spoken to Elder a lot. Um, Elder is not going to have, you know, Elder. The minimum wage is is far down the priority list for Larry Elder. Um, his priorities would be reducing regulatory burdens within the state, changing CEQA, which is actually um, a priority uh, for some very progressive Democrats. Um, so Elder's policy proposals are not easy uh, are not easy to to put into a bag. Um, but I would say he's being unfairly painted by Newsom, you know, Kelsey yeah. Breeze, that's politics. But uh, yeah, he, you, you want to keep, you want to keep the Democrats who keep, who would like to keep Newsom in office. You, you don't want them to return their ballots. And then once we get to that second stage, which I think he's thus far is way in the lead, um, 
so I think he probably played it right by not uh, by not showing up there. Um, and he went on. He went it's, and he went ahead and said, you know, look, you know what? We, either we have a legitimate debate that includes the current governor, and or or we don't. And he and why isn't Gavin Newsom showing up for this debate? So I think he probably did. I think he made the right uh, decision there. I think so he did the right things. I saw one poll, Lee, that had the uh, recall question leading by 10 points. I'm not sure if I believe that poll or not, but uh, if polls do show the recall leading by 10 points, uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to go on the record here and now saying that Governor Newsom might have a change of heart about debating. But uh, speaking of uh, good to be the king, Lee, on that night where I was watching the Olympics and my uh, my Olympic uh, sleep was uh, interrupted by Elizabeth Warren, I got so frustrated by that that I switched over to the baseball game. The Dodgers were playing on the MLB channel, and I was looking behind home plate, as I'm always curious to see at Los Angeles games. And if you watch a Dodgers game on TV, Lee, you see Mary Hart sitting behind home plate. Uh, people of an age listening to this podcast know who Mary Hart is. She was she was a big deal in the 1980s. She was a co-host of Entertainment Tonight, a very attractive woman. She famously had her legs insured for a million dollars, I think, or something like that. She and her husband, Lee, um, uh, her husband's named Bert Sugarman. He's a TV producer. Um, they were sitting behind home plate, and I looked next to Bert Sugarman, and his guest was Larry Elder. <laughs> <laughs> I started watching the game and I thought that guy kind of looks like Larry Elder. And then sure enough, they kind of went up close. It was Larry Elder. So <laughs> no escape from politics in California. No, no escape from politics. I thought Sugarman was pretty heavily invested in the state's democratic party. Well, Larry was his guest that night. So yeah. I don't know. he was uh, sending a message to somebody, but <laughs> yeah, strange, uh, strange, strange bedfellows. Um, you know, Bill, it's interesting. Um, I was sent a, um, a speech by Newsom uh, from uh, a reader from about 10 years ago when he was Lieutenant Governor in 2011, which was just about the worst time in, in, in the California economy, um, just after the financial crisis, but because the way state budgets are structured and the collection of, of revenue, that was about the worst time in, in, in the state or, or around the time of the uh, financial crisis and the Great Recession. And Newsom gave a speech in which he talked about there's a, this state is overregulated. We're gonna to put together a commission to figure out what we should be doing there. We need to be competitive in terms of taxes. He sounded not so different from Larry Elder or from Kevin Faulkner or from Kevin Kiley. Um, if I look to see what he talked about 10 years ago and I look to see the Gavin Newsom today, I just wonder, has he changed that much in 10 years? I mean, after all, he was he was a successful businessman. He did have a lot of stake money from the from the Getty family, but he was a successful businessman. He said a lot of common sense, good ideas as lieutenant governor 10 years ago. What's happened? Has he changed that much? Is this politics? Um, I would love to, you know, I'd love to see independent of uh, independent of partisanship, what party anybody belongs to. I'd love to see elected officials not worry so much about getting reelected, but just by trying to think if they have good ideas, try to get them in place and see where the chips fall where they may. If those ideas get in place and they're good ideas, people will benefit enormously and get reelected. I just hate to see so many public servants today, sorry, I'm going out to Lorraine here, that are just so worried, just so deeply worried about getting reelected. Um, sure. I think that's what's going on here. And I, th I think that's what's going on more broadly within the country. Yeah, so 10 years ago, um, a different Gavin Newsom, but really a Gavin Newsom in a different place is maybe the better way to phrase it. Uh, he, uh, people forget that he actually briefly ran for governor in 2010 um, and 
could not get much traction, could not get much money. Uh, the Clintons supported him, but not Barack Obama. So this is, again, you know, betting on the wrong course, kind of coming back to haunt him, um, if you will. Um, he just could not get any traction against Jerry Brown, so he quickly got out of that. Um, he had said a lot of derogatory things about being lieutenant governor, about what a worthless job it was, and he had a change of heart about that. He grabbed it because he wanted a foothold. He had to be relevant because he would be uh, soon out of a job in San Francisco. So at that point, I think still coming off the gubernatorial experience, Lee, I think trying to establish himself as a statewide force and probably thinking that, you know, people are going to think that I'm just kind of a, you know, a crazy pretty boy from San Francisco, not to be trusted. That's a very convenient thing to say that we need to look at the regulatory system. Also, Lee, in the thralls of a bad economy with Sacramento running deficits. Yeah, we got to we got to revisit our economy. A decade later, what has changed? Well, he's an established presence in California. He has won statewide office multiple times. But also in the past decade, his party has moved further to the left. And you've also seen a ballot measures in California, be it you know changing parole laws in California, legalizing marijuana, uh, stricter gun measures. Um, the Democrats have really pushed the envelope on that as well. So the Newsom you see today, I think, represents in large part where his party is as well. And that's why I'm kind of curious as the final outcome of this election, if there's going to be in some ways a pushback not just against Newsom himself personally, but also just maybe the idea that just, you know, what we're doing in Sacramento just is not addressing what is wrong with the state. Yeah. yeah, Bill, Bill I'm just going to read, I'm just going to read a couple of lines from this speech he gave 10, 10 years ago that a reader sent to me. Uh, for, uh, for more than 10 years, California has lacked a sensible economic plan. And then that last decade, we have reaped bitter consequences of this. The state has seen a loss of more than a million jobs, not counting farm workers. This is a remarkable state and a big part of our job is highlighting what is right. We need to have sensible regulation. There's way too much burden on companies. It is onerous and inconsistent and this is making us less competitive. Um, he was absolutely right then. Um, and it's interesting, uh, and, and he and that is, in my opinion, absolutely right today. And that's not really a partisan issue. There's as many or more Democratic business owners um, who might be very socially liberal, who just you know curse a blue streak when they think about all of the needless compliance that they conduct within this state. Um, so, so, I, so, so, Lee, my boss Pete Wilson went down this road, and he tasked Peter Ubroth with leading commission to study California's economy, and they came up with a plan. Arnold Schwarzenegger went down this road, and he tasked Jerry Parsky with coming up with a plan. And our colleagues, John Kogan and Michael Boskin at the Hoover Institution, economists took care, took part in that. Gavin Newsom Lee has gone down this road and he created a, a committee to look at the economy and who led it, Tom Steyer. And perhaps you'd like to explain to our listeners what happened with that <laughs> organization. Well, Bill, uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Newsom put together, was it, was it 75 people, a commission with I think it was closer to 100, I think. I think. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're right. It was closer to 100. Um, and, what, you know, since when does a 100-person commission ever, <laughs> ever, ever put together something that's going to have any impact? Much less doing it on Zoom calls. Much less doing it on Zoom calls. So this 100-person commission wrote um, about a 25-page paper right. with a lot of color photographs, Um uh, congratulating the governor on his, uh, I mean, this seemed like it could have come out of Venezuela. Um, congratulating the governor on his vision and on his leadership and making the difficult choice and the difficult decisions. 
And it had such, it had a couple of sensible ideas that had been around for 25 years, such as expanding Wi-Fi broadband into the Central Valley. Yeah, absolutely, of course. We've known about that for 25, 25 years. Um, and there was, there were more, there were, I remember counting. I remember having my, 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 uh, my app count the number of times we saw diversity and inclusiveness and equity and color. <laughs> and I remembered the time number of times uh, I couldn't find the, I couldn't find the word efficiency. Right. I couldn't find the word deregulation. I couldn't find the word competitiveness. Um, and this came from a hundred person commission that took what nine months, ten months, a year to produce a twenty five page Pablum report, compared to the commissions of Schwarzenegger and Wilson that had that were staffed by people that actually were making decisions or people that had studied government for decades, uh -huh. nine or 10 person commissions coming up with 100 page reports with detailed and very critical recommendations, sometimes recommendations that were critical of the governor, critical of the legislature. Um, this is, I think, what I'm most disappointed in the governor with, just the failure to stick with, I think, what he, uh, what he knows is some of the things wrong with the state for the fear of the potential political repercussions within a, within a state democratic party that um, that's just become almost impossible to manage if you're trying to be at all centrist. I'm wondering by the way, where that million dollar donation from Tom Steyer is. <laughs> you know, Gavin is trying to walk that tightrope. Um, I don't know, what would you call that tightrope? Left, left center. Um, I guess you need to be really far left to get the million dollar donation for Steyer. So he's sitting there, you know, saying on the one hand, I, okay, if I, can I get Steyer? If I get Steyer, do I lose Reed Hastings? It's uh, you know, I don't know. I think, I think, I think personally he would be much, much better off if he really stuck to his guns and said, this is what I stand for. This is what we need to do. And not pretend that California isn't losing jobs, isn't losing competitiveness, that homelessness uh, is something we can just talk about instead of doing something about if housing prices are not something we just talk about and say, we're going to have a Marshall plan for housing and not do anything about. You just, you know, I guess he's got two terms potentially. Um, can you, you know, can he carry, can he dread, can he just talk his way into that? I'm becoming more and more skeptical. Uh, I'm becoming, I'm, uh, I was, I was convinced that the recall would go nowhere three months ago. Today, of likely voters, they're split. Yeah, we'll see. You know, it's interesting. Um, governing California is difficult. Uh, Newsom's been dealt with some very difficult things, obviously, the pandemic, um, wildfires, um, but his path to becoming governor has been very easy. Uh, a no-brainer of an election, and then two easy runs for lieutenant governor before that. So he has now, for the first time in his career, really been punched in the face in terms of facing a political challenge. Well, you could go back to when he had the affair with the staffer back in San Francisco, but this is this is a life this is a political life-threatening issue going on here at the recall. What did Mike Tyson say uh, famously? What everybody has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. So he's been punched in the mouth now because that's what the recall has been: punched in the mouth. And looking at the polls, showing that this thing is neck and neck. Uh, looking at the field of challengers, none of whom necessarily keep you up at night. Uh, nobody is kind of dynamic as a Schwarzenegger out there. So at some level, Lee, for a guy especially who's been talked about as a darling, the head of the resistance, potential presidential candidate, blah, blah, blah. It has to be very disappointing to see that your career 
is, you know, kind of hanging by a thread right now. So that's, that's a long way of saying that he has a month to kind of figure out the smart path to go down here. And sometimes when you're under assault like this, um, it's a little disorienting and it's hard to take advice from people and you become a little unsettled. So we're going to learn a bit about Gavin Newsom and kind of how smart his own political chops are here. If he really kind of, you know, has the common sense to pull himself out of this. Yeah. You know, I saw him at a presser um, a few days ago and uh he looks like a guy that is just under siege and who has just had enough. And he was he was responding to some questions from reporters. Uh, I mean, just the same questions we've been talking about. Sacramento B video, I think, that made the rounds. And yeah, he was just a guy who was just cranky. He just, uh, you know, looked like he had his kale smoothie that morning or something. But uh, he was just, you know, just saying people outside of California trash us because they're jealous of us and envy of us. And it was just this completely wrong defensive uh, tack for, for this. He topic. was, he was so incredibly defensive. And, and in terms of the answers he gave to the economic questions, he was incredibly opaque, such as, well, California has the most job growth in the country. Well, California is the largest state in the country. California lost far more jobs than any other state in the country. The point is that California is 47th in the country in terms of having the highest unemployment rate. Um, so, yeah, so his answer to that economic question really was, uh, I would say, at best, really lacking lacking transparency. But he doesn't. He does right now when he's interviewed. He doesn't come across as a guy with a vision, as a guy with leadership. Everything is very defensive. Everything, as you point out, is very cranky. Everything yeah. is saying, oh, people are just people are just criticizing California. They uh, they envy us. They envy our weather. They envy the wonderful tech businesses we have. Um, he uh, he's not responsible for the you know the loss of tech businesses we're seeing have been have been underway. Uh, that process has been underway um, for years. But uh, uh, he's what he's not doing is saying. In the next year, here is, as we come out of COVID, fingers crossed, this is what we're going to be doing to make life better for you. If you're an individual voter, here's how we're going to make life better for you. He's not doing any of that. Gentlemen, you had mentioned that the that this, you know, this race is obviously within the margin of error, very, very close. Um, Bill, you wrote this week in California on your mind that California Democrats were asleep at the wheel on recall reform. Um, how did this happen in light of in, in light of basically what you just said that this is this is the biggest um, challenge that Gavin Newsom has had in his entire career? So what I wrote about was um, if Newsom if Newsom does get recalled, um, there's going to be a lot of spin uh, coming out from the part of California Democrats as to what happened. And obviously, you're going to hear you know a band of angry conservatives causes to happen. This isn't folks populi. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, Lee, but there was a piece in the New York Times the other day. Um, by uh, Ed, um, I know butcher's last name, Chenoweth, I want to say, the uh, Trumensky, Edward Trumensky, the uh, legal scholar uh, at Cal Berkeley, and he called the recall unconstitutional. And his argument was it's unconstitutional because let's say that Newsom loses the first question 51 to 49 or 50 to 49, raise within margin. And then on the other side of the ballot, the candidates, the winner gets maybe 25%. His contention is Newsom would have received more votes on the first question than the challenger did on the second, and so therefore that challenger is not constitutionally valid. I think what he uh, mistakenly says so is you can vote against the recall, but not, not necessarily being voting for Gavin Newsom. You can just not like 
the process, not think it's valid. I have Republican fans who feel that way, by the way. Um, but what I was getting at, Jonathan, was this, that the recall did occur in 2003. A Democratic governor was toppled and a Republican governor came in. And Democrats in California never really kind of sat down and thought, how do we prevent this from happening again? And there are ways to do it. Um, one would be to change the threshold of the votes required to trigger this thing. It's 12% in California. It's much higher in other states. They could have raised it to 20%, let's say. And if you, it was 20% in this election, it would have been a very hard time qualifying for the ballot. They also could have looked at changing, it would require changing the Constitution, but they could have looked at maybe changing the rules by which the governor can actually be one of the recall candidates, which is true in other states. If, you know, Lee, if Gavin Newsom were on the second part of the ballot, this conversation would just be purely academic between two academicians, because why? Newsom is the only Democrat, the only big name Democrat is sure to get 35% of the recall uh, candidates vote. He would maybe get kicked out of office on the first question, but then sent into office on the second question, kind of like the first time he drove a car and he had one foot on the gas and one foot on the brakes, if you will. But, um, but anyway, the point is that Democrats did not really address much about the recall process other than adding a window, a 30-day window in which you could take your name off a petition if you want to. So they kind of have themselves to blame for this. And I, I kind of thought, why did they not do this? And I think the answer is a combination of that, number one, things really kind of went back to normal in Sacramento after Schwarzenegger came in. There was a one-year period where they tried to figure out how to work with him and around him. But then Arnold went out in 2004 and tried to get Republicans elected, and he failed at that point, kind of returned to partisan warfare in Sacramento. They just weren't as intimidated by Arnold. But then secondly, uh, Lee and Jonathan, Democrats set their sights on other things. They changed the, the budget process, making it a simple majority vote. So budgets are no longer dramatic when we have surpluses. And they also changed the rules by which we do initiatives in California. You can't put them on primary ballots, which really handicaps conservatives because conservatives love to run initiatives and low turnout primaries. They just never really thought about the recall. Uh, I think twice burned if this happens now, I think they will go after the recall process very seriously. Yeah, this seems to be a, just a huge political blunder on the part of the state Democratic Party. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, the, their, their failure to amend this um, is the reason why they're running into this problem right now. Uh, and I agree with you, 12% of voters is is too low of a bar uh, to pursue. And uh, I, I don't know, I, I don't know if they were thinking about the Schwarzenegger, uh, Gray Davis situation as being sort of a one-off, that this would not happen again. But uh, parties aside, there's a lot not to like about the California process for recall. I think it should be, I think it should be amended, but the Democratic Party has no one to blame for this than themselves. They were the one that let this uh, continue um, year after year after year. Lee, you wrote an interesting piece this week for California on your mind about a new law in California which specifies that egg-laying chickens, veal calves, and breeding pigs will need more space than nearly all these animals currently have in the state. You write that the cost of this housing would fall disproportionately on Hispanic, African-American, and Asian families in which pork tends to be a larger share of their diet. You conclude, such is the fate of progressive politics. Lee, is it possible that minority and disadvantaged groups, especially those who were disproportionately impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, could be a crucial swing vote in this recall? race? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, this in a situation where you have potentially very little turnout, then groups that in the past that have haven't been, you know, the swing voter, the median voter. Um, yeah, they, they could potentially play a very, very substantial role uh, in the election. And um, uh, I don't know to what extent they're strategizing among those groups within the state or which direction that they would go in. Um, 
but yeah, absolutely. Cause you could, uh, I don't know, Bill, I mean, what do you, what, what, what would be, what would be your guess in terms of voter turnout uh, based on what you know right now? What, what percentage of registered voters do you think are going to be sending ballots in? Okay. So uh, in a normal election, uh, Lee, the uh, turnout's about 65% in California. Mm. That's a November yeah. election. In a primary election, it dips down to about 35%. Uh, the 2003 recall was a, uh, a unicorn in this regard. The turnout was about 62%. It was higher than actually the previous governor's race. Uh, you're not going to get 62% this time around. Uh, I would guess maybe, they just throw out a number, maybe low 40s. Um, if you look at the enthusiasm, there's a very big enthusiasm gap, though. Um, UC Berkeley and uh, uh, the LA Times did a poll, I think, about uh, three, four days ago, Lee, and uh, it showed that about 78% of Republicans um, are enthusiastic. They want to vote, and it showed about 45% of Democrats enthusiastic wanting to vote. Uh, now, there's a 24-point, no, 22-point uh, gulf in registration here. It's it's much more pronounced than back in 2003 when the difference is only 8%. So you can live with a difference in enthusiasm, but um, this is a warning sign if Republicans are ready to come out and force and Democrats are not. So that explains the Newsom, Newsom philosophy. But, you know, again, the wild card here is that we, everybody gets a ballot. Everybody gets a mail-in ballot. Everybody can send in their ballot. Um, so, you know, we don't have Donald Trump on the ballot either. California's turnout was easier, larger than normal in 2020, in part because of the mail-in ballots, but also because Trump is so electrified for both good and bad reasons in California. Yeah, so, yeah, no, exactly. And so, this uh, just, time around, yeah, so this time around, we just don't know if people are going to bother to vote or not, if they're going to if they're going to look at that piece of mail and realize this is a ballot or think it's something from, you know, you know, publisher's clearinghouse or something like that and <laughs> throw it in the mail or not. The other thing, by the way, just speaks to, and I don't want to get too alarmist here, but if I'm running the recall uh, efforts, I am uh, getting my legal people marshaled. Why? Because we're talking mail-in ballots, Lee. Under California rules, you can turn them in a couple of days after the election. Uh, and I think that if this thing is close, you're going to have a lot of Democratic-friendly uh, election officials around the state kind of going through what we went through with Florida. they would be looking at ballots and be looking at how people drew lines on the ballot and stuff like that. And so I want to have a lawyer in the room if I'm, if I'm doing the recall and making sure that nothing funny is going on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you about low 40s. Um, if it's above that, I suspect that's good news for Newsom. Um, what he just has to, what, you know, what he is just really worried about is that Democrats just literally don't show up and therefore overall, oh, overall ballot participation is low. And, um, you know, just one quick postscript on that New York Times editorial about California's recall law being unconstitutional. Their argument was based on the idea of, you know, one person, you know, one one person, one vote equal representation. Right. Um, I don't think they touched on the idea that every state has two senators, which um, when we look at Rhode Island versus California is, is about as unequal representation as one could uh, as one could imagine. So those um, those legal scholars seem to have uh, either forgotten that, which I, I really doubt or uh, omitted it because it doesn't seem to work very well for their for, for their uh, for their argument. Right. So I don't want to be overly alarmist here, but uh, we could be in for a very 
rough period of two to three to four weeks after this election as votes are counted, as numbers dance around. And keep in mind in California, you know, this happened in 2018 where we saw congressional races change uh, after the election when ballots continue to be counted. So let's say that Newsom loses, is trailing on the question um, in the morning after the election, but then we start counting more ballots rolling in, it starts getting closer and closer. So again, you know, I would just, you know, this is going to be a matter of integrity on top of everything else. So in addition to visiting uh, recall rules, maybe we're going to have to go back and revisit how California does elections as well in terms of mail-in ballots. This has been a bugaboo of mine for a long time. Well, in California, we have just made, you know, voting a lifestyle choice in terms of absentee ballots or mail-in ballots, as we call them. Oh. Used, to be called, oh, used to be called absentee ballots for a reason. You were absent or you had. Yeah, yeah, issue. yeah. Now, now oh. it's just a matter of I don't want to go down to the poll, I'll mail it in. What is the uh, what is the law regarding the what's what's the la- what's the latest time slash date right now within the state? I think uh, if it's received within three days after the election, it will be counted. No, it's not like your taxes. Yeah, yeah, that seems to uh, yeah. Not sure who dreamed up that one. That seems a lot, that seems to be a, a recipe for disaster in, a, in 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 any close election. And talk about uh, talk about just a waste of resources. Right. Um, so, and, and creating all sorts of uh, all sorts of ill will among them. So it's not been an issue statewide, Lee, because we simply just don't have statewide elections in this very blue state. But now we are maybe looking at election in a few weeks that could be very close on the one question. Yeah. So, you know, just imagine the drama you get in terms of recounting congressional votes or maybe a county vote in Los Angeles. Imagine doing this statewide. Let's see, 22 million ballots are handed out. And by my crude math, let's say even half the people vote going back and, you know, having to recount 11 million ballots. Ouch. Sure. sure. No, no, no. This is uh, this is just a, this is a recipe for wasting a lot of money and creating a lot of ill will. Just not a good idea. Yes. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan, always, always a lot of fun. Thank you. You've been listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, the Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the free world. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to this podcast wherever you might hear it. And if you don't mind, please spread the word and get your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's at Hoover I-N-S-T. Bill Whalen is on Twitter. His handle is at Bill Whalen C-A. And Lee Ohanian is also on Twitter. His handle is at Lee underscore Ohanian. Please visit the Hoover website at Hoover.org and sign up for the Hoover Daily Report, where you can access the latest scholarship and analysis from our fellows. Also check out California On Your Mind, where Bill Whalen and Leo Hanian write every week. Again, this is Jonathan Mavroidis sitting in the chair of Bill Whalen this week. He'll be back for another episode of Matters of Policy and Politics. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.